we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Would you take your Bible and go with me to the book of the Psalms? And we come this evening to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And we are reflecting upon and remembering September 11th. I remember a few years ago it was the commemoration of Pearl Harbor on a Wednesday night. And uh, in all the busyness of the day, I didn't think about it. And uh, Jane Morgan, how many of you remember the name Jane Morgan? Jane Morgan was in the foyer at the conclusion of the service, and she reminded me kindly that I did not mention anything about the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And... um, I was disappointed. (laughs) I was disappointed that I disappointed her. And I was disappointed in myself that I did not remember that. That happened, oh, 20-some years before I was born. And the truth of the matter is, uh, it was an event that was indelibly etched in her mind, in her memory one that was worthy of remembrance, but one that, if we're not careful, can be forgotten. And then if I think in my own life, September 11th, 2001, I know where I was. I was, I was working in my office at Temple Baptist Church, and the secretary came in and said, did you hear that a plane just flew in Uh, to the World Trade Center. And it was shocking to hear. And then, uh, within a matter of moments, it seems, we heard the next report that a second plane had crashed into the World Trade Center. And then we knew, right? We wondered when we heard the report, how in the world do you crash into that building? And then the second plane made it obvious and we realized that our nation was under attack. Um, my wife, I think, had an appointment that day with Chandler, who was just a few months old. And uh, I remember calling her to find out where she was and to make sure that she understood. I didn't want her going anywhere because I didn't know what was happening. None of us did. And we certainly learned that day that uh, life is brief and life is uncertain. And the security that we had grown used to in our nation, although we thought it was stable, uh, wasn't as stable as we thought, right? On that day, four planes were hijacked. Three of them made their target. One was overtaken by the passengers in the plane who by then had heard of the other crashes. And heroically, they defeated the terrorists. The plane crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. Uh, 
There were 265 people on those four planes, and they all perished in those crashes. There were 2,606 people who died in the World Trade Center and in the surrounding area on that day. Originally, the expectation was that over 6,000 had died, but only 2,600, and it's hard to imagine we're saying only 2,600, but in light of the expectation that 6,000 had died, 2,600 died in the World Trade Center. 125 died at the Pentagon. Among them were 343 firefighters who bravely and heroically climbed the steps of the World Trade Center to reach those who were in need. 72 law enforcement officers, 72 policemen also perished that day. 55 military personnel and other civilians who were involved in the defense of our country died that day, but 55 military personnel. In that number, 2,996, there were 90 countries represented. For example, on that day, 65 uh, citizens of Britain died, which is the greatest number in the history of that nation who died in any single terrorist attack. It was the greatest, largest terrorist attack in the history of the world. There were 200, 200 people who were trapped above the impact of the crash in the World Trade Center, 200 of them who fell or jumped to their deaths from the burning towers. We remember those images, don't we? As of September 2021, the remains of 1,106 victims were yet to be identified. They haven't been able to find their bodies. They haven't been able to identify their bodies. That was a tragic day, wasn't it? I remember watching the representatives of our nation, the elected officials gather on the steps at the Capitol and sing God Bless America together. The churches were filled. I had the opportunity immediately in the aftermath of those days to travel to New York City with a team from Temple Baptist Church and Crown College, and we ministered in churches. We handed out gospel literature. Uh, there was a somber, somber mood in the city. That was my first visit ever to New York City, was in the aftermath of those events. Uh, there was a smell in the air, if you got close to that site. Um, there, there was a soberness over the people. Uh, people filled churches that next Sunday. There was a, a large jump in church attendance. Uh, there was uh, a unifying force that pulled Americans together. But in just two decades, what has happened? We're more divided than we've ever been. 
and there's hatred and animosity and immorality and wickedness in our land. And you wonder, what will it take, right, to wake us up? Well, the psalm is a place that we go to for comfort. And so we look together this, this evening into Psalm 90. The Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with the flood. They are asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. I want you to notice this phrase that we find in verse number nine, for all our days. I want to speak to you on that subject this evening. All our days. All our days. This is the oldest psalm that we find in the Word of God. It was written by Moses. Uh, psalm 90 begins what is called the fourth book of the Psalms. There are five divisions of the Psalms, five divisions which correspond with the first five books of the Bible. The fourth book of the Bible is a book called Numbers, and this 90th Psalm begins the fourth section of the Psalms. If you'll remember in the book of the Numbers, as was mentioned by Brother Cruz and also later by Brother Odom in his message. In the book of Numbers, especially in the 13th chapter, we find that because of the unbelief of the elders of Israel, the 12 spies that went in, 10 with an evil report, 2 with a good report, and because of their testimony, uh, the elders of Israel were filled with unbelief and they refused to go into the land. And so because of their refusal, because of their lack of faith in God, because they resisted him and did not believe him, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and an entire generation of people from the age of 20 and upward died in the wilderness. They died never having realized their inheritance. 
And Moses, as he writes this 90th Psalm, is speaking of those days. And those days represent for us, many of us, our days, all our days. We see some things in this passage. I'll just bring them to your attention briefly this evening. First of all, we see the place of our dwelling. Look, if you would, in verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. There's an acknowledgement of the Lord here. His eternal existence, that he is an eternal being. And then in the midst of these uncertain times in which we live, that those of us who know him have in him a dwelling place. We have an abode because we're strangers on this earth. The Bible calls us strangers and pilgrims. We who know the Lord understand that this world is not our home. Now, we live here. All that we know in our personal experience, we have learned here. We are tied to this earth. We're made of this earth. And we have a love of our life, and we long to hold to it. One of the men in our church who went to be with the Lord some years ago, he understood that he was dying, and he was grappling with the issues that come to you when that news comes. And he said, I want to live. Is that wrong? I said, absolutely not. God made us that way, right? He made us and placed within us a will to live. God did not make us to die. He designed that we live forever. We don't like goodbyes. We don't like changes. But changes come. In the midst of all those changes and the instability and the uncertainty of life, which we were reminded of on 9-11, what do we learn? We learned that in God, we have an eternal dwelling place. Moses begins in verse number one with this expression, Lord. That term is Adonai. It speaks of the God who is sovereign. Moses is crying out to the sovereign God, the God who is in control. By the way, we need to be reminded tonight that God is in control, don't we? You say, I don't like what's going on in, my, in our world, and I don't either, and it does trouble me as it troubles you, but here's what we can rest in as God's people, that he is in control. He is in control, and we are in him. He is our dwelling place. Now look with me, if you would, into Psalm 91, just next door. Notice the promise that is given to those who dwell in Christ, who dwell in the Lord, who have in him a dwelling place. Psalm 91 and verse 1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. 
Notice the confidence that is building in the psalmist's heart. Surely he should deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. That's the disease. We live in a world that's filled with fear, a world that is, 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 is full of fear of disease today. A, a world that is raging in, 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 in fits of rage and hatred and animosity and division and crime. Those who have been ordained of God to protect us, the citizens, have willfully neglected their responsibilities. We're living in a world of chaos, a nation of chaos. But our God will deliver us. Verse 4, he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. You see, when the storm would come, the mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings and she would protect them from the storm. Verse five, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. It seems like all the day long our lives are under threat. There's some threat around every corner but we look to God. Verse seven, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. You see, we dwell in him. He is the most high. He is above it all. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. This is the place of our dwelling. It is in our God. He is eternal. We are able to commune with him. We are able to abide in him. And then we see a second thought here in verse 3 through verse number 10. We see the passing of our days the passing of our days. Look, if you would, beginning in verse three. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men for a thousand years in thy sight, but are, are but as yesterday when it is past and is a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away with a flood. There is a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. You see, as we, as we live upon this earth, in the brevity of our lives, we understand that the shadow of death looms over us, doesn't it? Death casts a, a dark shadow. The psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But that shadow, it looms over humanity. What produces that shadow? What produces that death? It is our sin. For the wages of sin is death. Death brings destruction, not only to our body, but to our soul. An eternity without God in an awful place called hell. We do not go there unless we reject the Lord Jesus. He did not come to send us there. He came to save us from going there. We go there as a consequence of our sin. 
our sin, which is declared our rebellion against God, leads us to an eternity without Christ in hell. But Jesus, who loves us, the Father who so loved us that he gave his only begotten Son, sent his Son into the world, and his Son willingly laid down his life for us, made the payment for our sin. That shadow of death looms. And even for those of us who know Christ and understand that a physical death just simply means a departure from this world into his presence, we still do not look forward to that day. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment, the shadow of death looms over us. Life is brief. Notice what is said in verse 6. In the morning it flourisheth. He compares the lives of men to the grass of the field. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. As quickly as it springs up, it is cut down. And it begins to dry up and fade away. This is the destiny of a man who lives apart from God. Verse 7, for we are consumed by thine anger. You know the Bible teaches us that God is angry with the wicked every day. That the wrath of God abides upon those who are in sin. As we pass our days, the shadow of death looms over us. As we pass our days, the shame of our sin looms over us. Look at verse 8. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. God sees it all. He sees it all. The shame of our sins loom over us. Then we see in verse 9, the certainty of judgment looms over us. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Our days are passed away in thy wrath. Because we know that God is angry with the wicked every day, there is a sense of looming judgment that is upon us. Why did Adam and Eve run from God after they sinned? Because they sensed that judgment was looming. Why do our kids withdraw from us when they're in trouble? Because they sense judgment is looming. And then in verse number 10, he says, the days of our years are threescore years and 10, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years. In other words, on average, Moses writes, a man may live 70 years. And if by reason of strength he makes it to 80, that's fourscore Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. The shortness of life looms over us. Life is brief. It moves quickly, doesn't it? The passing of our days. On 9-11, we discovered that the security we thought we had could not protect us from the things that we fear. In recent years, we've discovered that the medical field cannot protect us from the diseases that are present in this world. 
We do all that we can to put safeguards into our lives, to be wise, to be discreet, to protect our children. We build in every safety device, security device that is at our disposal. But we discover in spite of it all, life is brief and life is uncertain. And for the wicked, for those who do not know God, when it ends, it ends. And an eternal death in hell awaits. But for those who know Jesus, when it ends here, it doesn't end, it just begins. An eternal inheritance with God in glory. Why is it that we as believers who know this have such a hard time remembering it day by day? Who have such a hard time reckoning upon it day by day? And we live our lives on this earth as if this is the only thing that exists. But I want you to know that the Bible says that eye hath not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them who love him. Our future is certain. Our safety is sure in the Lord. That does not mean that we will not suffer. We will suffer in this world. It doesn't mean that we will not have tragic events come to us. We will have tragic events come to us in this world. But what it means is that we're going to a world where there will be no sin, there will be no suffering, there will be no tragedy, there will be no threats, there will be no diseases. And that's the land that we long for, isn't it? The passing of our days. And so that's why as we think of our dwelling, we learn that the place of our dwelling is not on this earth. We put no hope in uncertain riches or pleasures or power or prestige because it's all fading. We put our hope in the Lord. So how does that impact our lives? Well, we see in verse 12 and beyond the pursuit of our days. That's the third thing there, the pursuit of our days. In other words, understanding the brevity of life and the uncertainty of life, understanding that I know God who is eternal and is my eternal dwelling place, that I have a, a sense of, of safety and security and hope in him, understanding that what am I to do with the days that God has given me? I think this would be good for us to pay attention to. What are we going to give our lives to? The prayer of Moses here in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The word apply means to pursue. What are we going to do with our days? What are we going to do with our energies? What are we going to do with our passions? What shall we pursue in our lives? Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. How would you like to go in circles for 40 years? Unfulfilled, unhappy, for 40 years. 
Well, Moses didn't want that to be repeated. So he pursued after the Lord. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days. Help us to recognize that life is fading and life is short. Speak to us so that we do not waste it because we don't know when it's going to end. You see, Moses longed to see the Lord move. Do you long to see the Lord move? Are you content? Are you content with where you are? Are you content with what you see happening or do you want to see God move? I hope that as a church we want to see God move. And God is moving and we're grateful for that. He says in verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. Oh, Lord, we don't want to spend 40 years out here accomplishing nothing. God, we want your presence. We want you with us. We want you to work in our lives. We want to see you move. May that be our prayer. He longed to rejoice in the Lord's mercy. Look in verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I want you to know that crowd that roamed in the wilderness for 40 years, they didn't rejoice much. They began complaining the day they walked out of Egypt and they complained for 40 years. There wasn't a lot of gladness in that group. You said, how are you doing? That would be the worst question you could ask them. There weren't a lot of happy Christians in that group. Moses longed to rejoice in the Lord's mercy. You see, they forgot if it weren't for the mercy of God, they would have been in bondage in Egypt. Do you know what I think? I think we've forgotten if it weren't for the mercy of God, we'd be on our way to hell. There was a man who called 911 on September 11th. He was trapped above the point of impact. He couldn't get down the stairwell. He called 911 and he 911 and he told the operator where he was and he began to tell them, "We need you to come." And in the background, you can sense the urgency of the situation. And in the final moments of the man's life, with bitterness and anger and hatred and cursing in his mouth. He told that operator that they needed to get there and get him out. And then the moment that the building collapsed, he said, oh, God. And that was it. That was it. He had an opportunity to receive the Lord's mercy. I don't know who that man was. I did hear his voice. I did hear his words. And what I did not hear was any hope in God's mercy. I imagine that man went to eternity having rejected the mercy of God. 
Moses longed for something else in verse 16. He longed to see the Lord's might. Let thy work appear unto thy servants. God, we want to see you do something. And thy glory unto their children. We want to see you do something. We want our children to be blessed. What are we trying to do as a church? That's what we desire. We want God to do something in our midst. And we want his glory upon the hearts and lives of our children. Verse 17. He longed to see the Lord's majesty. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. The Bible said that we are uh, his workmanship created in him unto good works. What does God desire to do in our lives? A work in us so that we can do a work for him and glorify his name. What are we going to do with our days? Do we long to see the Lord move? Do we long to rejoice in his mercy? Do we long to see his might? And do we long to see his majesty? Well, then let us borrow Moses' prayer. Let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. Not the ugly stain of sin and selfishness and greed and anger and wrath and bitterness and clamor. He said, let that all be put away from you. Let it be put away from you and put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, what kind of difference will that make in our appearance? Well, it'll make all the difference, won't it? And every morning when we get up and put our clothes on, and we go out into the world, let's put on the Lord Jesus. Let's pursue him all our days because our lives are brief. They're passing. But thanks be unto God. He is our place of dwelling. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.